In the fall each year we all congregate The bound all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. We're a Georgia Bulldogs show. I am your host, Seth Saunders, joined as always by my co-host, James Kim. What's up, brother? It's been a little bit. What's up, man? It has been a little bit, man. Life has gotten in the way of everything, but as always, keeping up with the dogs, enjoying the season. And this week, I forgot how much of an insufferable fan base Tennessee is because they haven't been relevant in so long. But my God, they're awful. Ooh, boy. Real bad. I mean real bad like i don't know that there is a fan base in the sec that is worse given how they have been this week and you know man i'm i'm not really one to stir it up or talk on social media or any stuff like that because i just don't really care but i will be responding to some social media posts when the dogs are victorious saturday evening when i'm about three or four creature comforts deep. <laughs> I'm not above that. I'm just putting that out there. So before we get into the game this week and slate of games and talking a little bit about the Florida game last weekend, I, I really want to lead off with Coach Dooley's passing and just say, you know, how, how much we are thinking about his family and everyone that knew him and cared for him and, Gosh, what a legacy, right? That, that's all I could think this week in taking it all in and digesting it is I thought the coolest thing about all the coverage and about everybody's memories was the football piece of it was secondary. The athletics piece of it was secondary. Everyone talked about how he made them feel and what kind of husband and father he was. And I just thought that spoke so well of, of who he was as a man and what a loss. And I hope that we celebrate his legacy for not just the rest of this season, but for all seasons in perpetuity, because his stamp on George's program is everlasting. And I exchanged texts with Jason Hasty this week, and he told me that I could share this. So I, I will. And his exhibit next fall that he does, you know, each year, kind of expanding upon and celebrating an aspect of Georgia athletics will be dedicated to coach Dooley and his career in life. So I I can't wait to see what Jason does with that. If there's anybody that is perfectly equipped to honor coach Dooley and his life and legacy is Jason. So that's going to be fantastic. And I I can't wait to see that next fall. And uh, yeah, just, you know, covering his family in prayer, covering his friends in prayer and, and hoping that everybody has peace and, and takes solace in, in what a enormous legacy that he's leaving. I couldn't have said it better. I, I loved hearing all of the stories this, this past like 10 days or so that have come out. And I mean, from everyone, from fans that got to interact with him, from players, but my favorite thing was from the media that got to interact with him since he retired, how, you know, he had a spot like where he could watch games from the press box, but he would go down in the stands and interact with the fans. And he just wanted to be just like a fan and not, you know, like the former coach, former athletic director and stuff like that. I mean, even up until weeks ago, it was an autograph for fans. So, I mean, that's just will always and forever be part of Georgia football. He will be the epitome of football. So he's tied to that forever and just prayers to his family and friends and will always be missed. Yeah, and I saw that they are honoring Coach Dooley and Charlie Trippy on the field this week, which I think is just outstanding. And I, I can't remember, or maybe I haven't seen yet, I, I know that, Last weekend, I think the dogs had the 62 decals on the helmets for uh, Mr. Trippy, And I haven't seen yet, but I would be 
surprised if there wasn't some type of uniform dedication to coach Dooley as well, whether it's a helmet sticker or something like that. I, I texted with Jason. I would love to see him do some type of uniform patch for him. You know, if it's like a kind of like a cutout of him getting carried off the field after the title game um, against Notre Dame or just something, some cool stuff. Poor man's game notes did an awesome, awesome kind of print of an oil painting of coach Dooley that uh, Rob, and I'm going to mispronounce his last name, but it's spelled M-A-T-R-E, Rob, Rob Mater, I guess. I don't, I don't know how to say it right. I'm hopefully saying that right, but did a, just a beautiful, beautiful print for poor man's game notes. And it's really awesome too. And just some, some really nice dedications and uh, love that coach Dooley has been properly honored thus far and will continue to do so. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Florida game before we kind of pivot into Tennessee. Just give me your general takeaways from the game. What stuck out? What were maybe lowlights and what needs to get fixed quick before this monster matchup this weekend? It's something about Jacksonville still to this day. Stetson had his worst game all of last season in Jacksonville. He had worse statistical game of the season last year in Jacksonville, even worse than the SEC championship game. I'm hoping that that holds true for the season. That was his worst game of the season. And he still, I mean, his stats weren't bad, but I mean, eye test wise, not a pretty game. He missed a lot of open receivers. There were a bunch of drops, but he did miss some wide open throws. He missed some reads and I'm hoping it's just the playing in Jacksonville, the curse of Jacksonville, whatever the hell you want to call it. But I'm hoping that gets fixed. And I'm also hoping that, you know, we'll have more of an open playbook because they said that they're going to throw the kitchen sink out the window this week and, you know, open everything up. And I really hope that that's true. I hope that this is, you know, maybe we're not using everything because we haven't had to. But if our offense looks like it did, it's kind of stuck in neutral passing game like it has the past couple weeks. We're going to continue to struggle if our running game struggles, which is the exact opposite of how it was in the beginning of the season. So that and without Nolan Smith for the rest of the season, setting the edge is going to be really important with whoever's going to take his spot. Um, Chambliss, like I, I texted with you during the game, they ran the ball right at him on third down several times and got it third and not short either, like third and like five plus. So that's concerning because that's Nolan's spot. That's where he would have been there to set the edge and let the linebackers flow. And Chambliss just got pushed inside both times on those plays. You know, I don't want to say, I mean, one winning by 22 points in Jacksonville, it's not like, you know, it was a close game because it really wasn't. But those are my concerns going into this week to see how those are rectified. Totally agree with the Nolan thing. I'm very interested to see what that adjustment will be. Would have loved to have gotten a week in between his injury and a big game like this just so that the guys that are going to fill that space would have gotten a little bit more experience under their belt. But it is what it is. You know, I they've been saying it all week, and I think it's true. It's, look, next man up, you got to be ready. You're pract- Kirby said many times, all these guys practice every day just like Nolan does. It's time to go. You're at the University of Georgia for a reason. Step up and let it rip. And so they're going to have to adjust quick and go. And, I mean, look, obviously Tennessee is going to try to, to pick at that. But guys got to step up and make plays. That's the name of the games. And other guys are going to have to pick up the slack and show up bigger than they have in the past. So that's the one piece of it. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on the offense. First time. I believe in the history of the Georgia-Florida game that Georgia has put up 500 yards of total offense in a game. So I liked that. I thought the off, I thought the running game, again, looked good. I think they are finding some rhythm with Kenny and Dejan. And I really hope that Dejan continues to get a good amount of carries because every time he touches the ball, good things happen. And – I will say this about Stetson. I thought he was good outside of the third quarter. I thought the third quarter he was kind of out to lunch. I mean, that throw that he tried to fit into Dejan, that that was – I thought that read was pretty straightforward. And 
I, like everybody was mad that he threw to Dejan. And look, there were there was an easier throw in the field. I mean, Darnell was wide open in the flat and probably could have run all the way across the Florida Georgia state line. That's how much room he had. But if Stetson had just actually thrown that ball where you should, because the safety had already committed to the to the receiver. Dude, he could have led him to the sideline, and I think he would have been fine. It was just a really, really poor throw. But look, man, I think it's human tendency. You're up 28 through to half. You just kind of take the gas off the pedal. I mean, take the foot off the pedal a little bit. So, I don't know. I thought they responded very nicely when it got to 28-20. And did you notice what Stetson said after they went down and scored the touchdown right after it got to 28-20 to retake the lead at whatever no. it was? 35-28, he went straight over to the offensive line and he goes, they cannot stop us. Like, repeatedly. They cannot stop us. They cannot stop us to everybody on the in the offensive personnel group. And he was right. They couldn't stop them when they were actually locked in and focused. So, I like where they're at right now. I think that – I just think they have a good rhythm. So, again, the, the big caveat on all that is I hope they keep feeding Dejon because whenever he touches the ball, good things happen. So I want that to continue. What did we talk about when we texted this week? What I think the biggest caveat in this matchup this weekend is what factor is going to mean the most for Georgia's success or lack of success. You're going to have to refresh my memory because if it was during the game, I was highly inebriated. <laughs> turnovers. Oh, yeah, turnovers. Because we're talking about the three we had this week. Yeah, if Georgia does not have turnovers, they are – an unstoppable force. That is that is the only thing that has given opponents a crease to put points on the board. All three games where 20 points were given up, they lost turnovers. A, they lost a turnover. Every other game, zero turnovers, absolute blowouts. And I think it'll be the same story this weekend. They can't be turned over. I think the other piece of this that I'm real interested to see. I know everybody keeps talking about, oh, Tennessee's offense is explosive. Georgia's going to have to do track meet with them and outscore them and blah, blah, blah. I, I completely disagree with that. I think for this is to control the clock, is to have the methodical long drives that we have had all year. You know, I think Georgia is one of the lower-ranked teams in the country. Plays like 30, 30 yards or more or whatever. It's just not huge chunk plays. But plays of like 10 plus yards, the numbers skyrocket because they get these medium sized pieces and they just kind of matriculate the ball down the field, as Hank Stram would have said. And I think if they're able to do that and control the clock, you're keeping Tennessee's weapon off the field. I think they thrive on rhythm and momentum and big plays. And so just keep them off the field, right? I mean, that's the prescription for me. No turnovers, control the clock. That's it. If Georgia doesn't have to do anything special. Georgia doesn't have to do anything fancy. Just be who you are. That's it. I mean, I firmly believe that. Like, if, if we wake up Sunday morning and they have won the turnover battle and they've won the time possession battle, they're, they're going to be the winners of the football game. I would put hard money on that. Do you think that's off base or do you think that's somewhere in, in the warm spots? No, I, I completely agree with that. I, just be clear, I wasn't bashing on Stetson for this for for the and the offense because I think the offense played really really well last week. It's just you you asked what the lowlights were, and I feel like that he had a bunch of plays that he left a lot of yards out there, and that Brock Bowers touchdown yeah. with the tip was very fluky. Heart attack inducing. <laughs> Put it yes. that way. Yes, that was um, not a good throw. So, no, but that's neither here nor there. So, turnover battle is key. As far as the time of possession, I feel like we're going to win that regardless because of the way Tennessee plays. So, I don't think that's as big a key, but I think it's going to play. I think where the difference is with us and other teams, it's going to come down to the fact is that I think we're better in the trenches. Our offensive and defensive line are better than their offensive and defensive line straight up. So I think when it comes down to it on the fourth quarter, when their defense has been on the field for 35 minutes and we're trying to run out the clock, if we got a lead or we're trying to go down to take 
you know, to take a lead, we're going to be able to just assert our will and go right through them. That's where the time of possession is going to come in. But I mean, I think it was, what was it? Kentucky. They had the ball for like 22 minutes and put up 44 points. I mean, it's something ridiculous like that. Just cause the way, I mean, they try to run a play like every seven and a half seconds or something stupid like that. That's just their MO. But the time of possession isn't as big a key for me. I think the biggest key for this, this entire game boils down to really, I, I hate to put it on one player, but it's which Keely Ringo are we going to see? Are we going to see yeah. freelance Keely Ringo or are we going to see technically sound Keely Ringo? If we see technically sound Keely Ringo, then I think the rest of the defense is uh, technically sound enough that they're going to get yards. That's not a problem. Uh, I, we're going to give up yards, I, but I don't think we're going to give up a big play. I, but yeah. if Ringo's freelancing, you know, mistiming jumps and stuff, then there could be a big chunk play here or there. My thing, there's been a lot of attention and all the analysis this week from all the folks on TV and all the articles and everything about Georgia's secondary and Tennessee's going to expose Georgia's secondary. And I, I really, my premise is I don't really even care to have that conversation. I think it's neither here nor there. I think to your point, Tennessee is going to get their yards. They are going to complete some passes. That's just a, a given in my mind. For me, what I think has been completely undersold about Tennessee's offense and what they want to do is they have to run the football. They run the football very effectively. Their running game makes their offense tick. So if they can't run the football, they're not going to be as effective as they have been all season. I just think that's such a super undersold aspect of what they have done offensively and what they like to do. They want to get yards early in downs with their running game, bludgeon you a little bit, and then pop you. And traditionally, since Kirby's been there, the strength of the Georgia defense is stopping the run. So if they can do that on Saturday and just say, hey, look, Hendon Hooker, you're going to have to do it. If we're going to lose, it's all you, brother. Like, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to throw 400 yards. You're going to have to throw it 45 times. I think that's a problem for Tennessee. I really do. And that would be my whiteboard is no turnovers, control time possession, stop the run. Dude, that's it. Those are, those are the bullet points for me. And everything else is just do your job. Like everybody else, just do your job. I, which can we, can we pivot to this real quick? Have you seen like or read a lot of the coverage? I mean, homie, it is just everybody and their mama on Tennessee. Everybody. Everybody but Vegas, that is. <laughs> Vegas is well, not on the balls. I actually wanted to bring that up. Um, I saw a stat. Now, I don't know how much is this is true, but if this is stat, if this is true, this is very interesting that 93% of the money is on Tennessee. And, ten, and Vegas has not moved the line, at least as of our taping, which is 5.30 on Thursday, um, below 8.5 on most books. On some books, it's moved to 7.5, but on most books, it has not be, um, moved below 8.5. It's still 8.5 on most books. Yeah, and, dude, I think it opened at 10.5. Yeah, so that's surprising. Vegas does not want that number to get down to 7 or below. Yeah, it, it's real interesting to me, man. Like, because to me, that seems a little big. Because for me, I think it's about a, a three to five point ball game somewhere in there. Well, that's, where the, that's where the eight and a half comes from. Because if you have five, three points to zero home field. So neutral field yeah. would be. So that's where the, they're giving three for the home field. I, I will say this, and I do think this is real. Everybody plays better with a lead. And in the game against Bama, Tennessee got up real quick. And they have played ahead pretty much all year. You know, the only really back-and-forth affair they had was the Pitt game. I mean, that was kind of nail-biter back-and-forth, possession by possession. But outside of that, they've been up. And I think that's imperative, that Georgia has to come out and use that home field to establish an advantage early. and keep them from leaping out to 
14 nothing or 10 nothing or whatever it may be. I think dude, a zero zero first quarter would almost be best case scenario. Just ramp it down. They're out of rhythm a little bit. Probably start to get a little frustrated because they're not scoring like they used to. I think that's the other benefit of Georgia's journey so far is they've played tight games. So I don't think that's going to cause any problems. They played from behind. So I don't think that's going to cause any problems. I just think I feel like they're in a really good spot. Um, now, look, who knows what will happen? You're dealing with 18, 22-year-old kids outside of Stetson Bennett and Hinton Hooker who are both about to collect Social Security. But other than that, you're dealing with, <laughs> you're dealing with young kids. So who knows? But I think the atmosphere is going to be absolutely electric. You got game day and SEC Nation on campus, 3.30 kick. It's going to be beautiful. I would suspect it's going to be dark enough or close enough to dark around the start of the fourth quarter that you might see a little red light show, which I think is going to have the crowd just go absolutely bananas. So I'm really, really excited. This is what I was thinking about too, homie. Outside of the SEC title game and the national title game, when have you kind of had this like nervous anticipation in the last two calendar football seasons? I got to go back to 2020 before I, yeah. I think it's the same for me. I mean, obviously the SC title against Alabama and then the national title, you had that kind of butterfly feeling about it, but every other game, you kind of felt like, look, we should win the football game. And if we don't, I'm going to be disappointed. And so this is different. This is like big game, a lot of juice, everybody and the mama talking about it. It's awesome. And I am so stinking excited. This has been, I feel like, one of the longer game week lead ups in a long time because I'm just so ready for it to be here. The other cool part is definitely SEC Inside. You know, we'll get an SEC Inside episode on Tuesday night of the game, which I always love that. So I, I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm really, really excited. And I think guys have an opportunity to really show up, show out. I, one of the things that stinks is, man, I, I really want AD to get healthy. I just think that is so meaningful to this offense. And I think if he gets healthy, it takes them to a whole different stratosphere with what they'd be able to do. But I, he ain't going to play this week. Whenever Kirby says hopeful in my brain, that just means no out, out. <laughs> <laughs> hopeful equals out. So, yeah, so, th- so that's that. Um, all right, well, we can talk a little bit more about this when we get to the picks, but let's do some picks. Did we both go eight and two last week? I went seven and three. You went eight and two. So Aaron went seven and three, which catapults him into a tie for the top spot with Travis Denning, correct? Correct. So the boys are sitting atop the pedestal right now. And yeah, I mean, dude, seven three is a good mark. Seven and three won it last year or eight and two won it? Eight and two. Eight and two. Okay. And also in the Saturday Night Athens Pick'em Challenge, your boy took the top spot this week. Went eight and two in the pool too. Went with my went with my show picks. Went with your show picks. Yeah, picked what I picked on the show for the for the week, which I think is the first time I've done it all season. So I'm really just scratching to get back to 500 in the pick. I'm like, no, it's been an embarrassing showing. But uh, dude, it's getting spicy. Baby sis is in the top five. That's awesome. Yeah, she's been lighting it up, dude. She's been picking really well. I had this long conversation with her. I can't remember if it was last weekend for the cocktail party or the weekend before, but she was like, okay, can we like talk about spreads? Cause I really don't understand it. <laughs> I'm like, well, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> so yeah. So a- she's been doing this this whole time, not really understanding spreads. That's awesome. No, dude. I think she's just been picking straight winners. Like who she thinks is going to win. And I was like, well, you're probably doing great if you've been picking underdogs. Oh, that's spectacular. Yeah. Lead us off. What do we got? What's what's first first game this week? We got a little Thursday night dip. Thursday night. So we're just so you know, because we're not sure if we're, this is going to air before the game. We're picking five thirty on Thursday. This is a seven thirty kick. Really interesting fun belt matchup. App State going to Coastal. Um, App State is a road two and a half point favorite, which is interesting to me. I know Coastal hasn't had the year that everybody expected them to have, and App State had the big 
I don't even want to call it an upset anymore over Texas A&M, but App State, two-and-a-half-point road favorite, two quarterbacks who have been playing college football, which seems like forever. This line stinks out loud to me. I do not understand it at all. Coastal is 7-1. and one. They've got a what-the-hell-happened loss against Old Dominion, and other than that, have just kind of plotted along. They're playing on their home field. Thursday night, that place is going to be electric. App State has been just okay since the Texas A&M game. And really, all season, ain't been able to stop a nosebleed. So, I'm taking a chance, baby. I feel great about them as a, as a home dog, so I'm taking the chance. But I will tell you, Vegas having the Mountaineers as a road favorite stinks out loud to me. That makes me feel like they know something that I don't know, which they usually do. But I'm going with the chance. I completely agree. I don't like this line at all. I will not be putting any real money on this game, but for I, I love uh, Coastal Carolina in this game at home on a Thursday night. Um, like like you said, uh, App State's defense is just atrocious, and that just shows you how bad Texas A&M's offense is. So yeah. give me uh, give me the chance to clears here. Um, I think they should win running away on this one. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel too. Next game, Friday night kick. Oregon State going to Washington. Washington's a four and a half point home favorite. This is another spread that really kind of stinks out loud to me. Who you got on this yeah, one? Yeah, th- this is a tough one. You know, Washington came out the gates hot. Indiana transfer Michael Penix had it had it going on. They've had a couple stumbles, but from what I have heard they have one of the more electric home fields in all of college football, which I feel like has to only be magnified on a Friday night under the lights. You kind of get that high school feel to it. The other piece that though is I like Oregon state. I think they're a good football team. So it's tough to not take them as a road dog four and a half, such a weird, really beat anybody that you're like, Oh man, really good football team. Right. So, man, I don't know. This is like a coin flip for me. I'm going to take the Huskies because they're the home team, and that's really about it. And just because I like Michael Penix. Isn't he a lefty, too, a little lefty spinner? He is a lefty, yeah. Yeah, I dig that. My son's a lefty. So we'll go with the lefty at home. How about that? On the lake. All right. As or, Robert or, Griffin or the, the sound. <laughs> the sound, yeah. As Robert Griffin III likes to say, I'm going with big Penix energy on this. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going with the Huskies. Energy. Oregon State's defense has played way above what I think anyone thought they would, could this year. Their offense, though, kind of gets stuck in neutral. Their quarterback hasn't been the same since he hurt his neck. Um, I think it was four weeks ago now. He did come back, um, but he just hasn't been the same. So I'm going with the Huskies at home on a Friday night. I think that that place is going to just be nuts. Um, So give me the Huskies at home. Now, the next game is one of your favorites, one of the three side games of the year, the Commander's Classic, Air Force versus Army in Arlington at, I don't want to butcher this, is that Choctaw Stadium? Choctaw, yeah. So, uh, dude, this is a a new thing. I had to do some research on this. I didn't realize – that Air Force Army had played neutral field last year. So normally they play rotate home campus kind of like everybody does, but they signed a two-year agreement with Globe Life Stadium, which is now Choctaw Stadium. It's the old Texas Rangers ballpark. So the old ballpark at Arlington right there beside Jerry World. And they played there last year was the first year they did it, and this is the second year of the two-year contract. Now, it's called Choctaw now because the Choctaw Casinos bought the naming rights to Globe Life. So that is... Um, that that's, that's the origin of the casino and that's why they're playing there. neutral site, 1130 game, which doesn't that mean it's a 1030 start. Yeah. Does that mean it's 1030 local start though? 1030, 1030 local start. Yeah. I mean, I ain't mad at it. Have a little, have a little brunch and football, a little mimosas. I mean, I'm here for it. Plus we got commander's cup. Love that little trophy game or, or not an actual trophy game, but part of the trophy game. It goes towards yeah. the points for who gets awarded the, the cup eventually. So I love that. Pretty fired up about that. Um, this is such a coin flip. I feel like these type games, whether it's Army-Navy or 
Army Air Force or Air Force Navy, whoever it is. I feel like they're always a coin flip. I am going to go with the Falcons, although they've burned me a couple times this year, just because I just haven't been real impressed with the Army. I think they're down a little bit this year, which is fairly normal for the academies. I feel like they're very rotational year to year based on who they've had there. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with the Falcons. No real good reason other than that, just kind of a gut thing, and that's what I'm going with. I'm going to go with the Falcons as well, and if there was a – bet for shortest game of the year i would take that in this game Mm -hmm. um because i there may not i i don't think that the clock will stop except for first downs um so i'm gonna go with the falcons as well i really no other reason like you said army just has not been very good this year the few times i have watched air force um they did i know colorado is just god awful but they just beat the tar out of colorado um i think that was in colorado too in like a monsoon so I'm going to go with Air Force. I, I do like um, – the. I just like their style of play and how physical they are. So I'm going to go with the Falcons. The next game <laughs> – I can't believe this. I, can, I, I can't believe this game's even on here, honestly. I know it's an SEC game, but Florida at Texas A&M, noon kick, 11 a.m. local. I don't understand this spread either. A&M's a three-and-a-half-point favorite. It, was A&M on a bye last week? Is that is – that, No, they played uh, – they played Ole Miss and they got oh, the yeah. new quarterback that threw for like three bills on Saturday night. So is that why, is that, that the reason they're favored by three and a half? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I honestly, I think it's just a, it's a pure pick them with a home field home advantage. Field. That, yeah. That's all I think. I mean, look, let's be serious. Both these teams stink out loud and are trash. I was beyond underwhelmed with Florida last week, absent the two turnovers in the third quarter. Georgia runs away with that game. I mean, it just would have been embarrassing for the Gators. And their defense is awful. They released or dismissed Brenton Cox this week. And they asked Napier about it. And he said it was an accumulation of things. Not great, Bob. Not great. So did you see that uh, there's, did you see another defensive back left the team today? um, I'm telling you, man. They got they got some things going on in Gainesville, and none of them are real positive. So, I don't know. It, it doesn't look good, and it does seem like AM found a little something at quarterback last weekend. But who knows? I these are two really really bad football teams. It speaks more to the slate of games this week than anything else that it's on the sheet. I thought because of the way they both are, because of all the uncertainties, and because of the line, I thought it was a compelling game to pick. I am going to take the Aggies strictly because they're at home, and that's it. I mean, this game I think will be disgustingly ugly, but I'm taking the Aggies. I am taking them as well, but that is, it is strictly because of the fact that I can't pick for no other reason. If Anna was playing any other team, I would probably pick the other team, but it's the fact <laughs> they're playing Florida. I'm taking the Aggies. I'm good I with think that. that both of these, if Napier wasn't in there, if Napier wasn't in his first year, he should be fired. If Jimbo didn't have this huge buyout, he should be fired. Both these coaches are just in no-win situations with these teams and will not last. Next game, honestly, might be one of the more entertaining games of the day, um, just f- from a pure football standpoint. Oklahoma State going to Lawrence, playing the Kansas Jayhawks. I know kind of the Luster's falling off Kansas since Jaden Daniels went down. But this should still be a very entertaining, high-scoring Big 12 football game, in my opinion. Um, 3.30 kick. I know Oklahoma State's beat up and down their, their roster, but that's going to make part of this what's so entertaining. Who do you like in this one? I tell you, man, the Pokes are just on the, the Sunflower State tour. Played in little, the Little Apple last week in Manhattan and got the doors blown off of them by Emaw. And now heading to Lawrence. O'Reed rising and facing the Jayhawks. I think it will be the, or reportedly will be the triumphant return of Jalen Daniels at quarterback. So I'm taking the Jayhawks. I've taken them every time they've been on the show this year. I'm going to do it again. Might burn me, but I'm taking them. They are fighting for bowl eligibility this week. They are back at home. I think for the first time in a month, I think they played three straight road games and then had a bye last week. If I'm remembering right. So I'm taking the Jayhawks. I feel good about them. I, I'm taking the Jayhawks as well. I love Daniels. I love what he brings to the team. Even if Daniels wasn't playing and they were going with 
uh, Bean or Beam. I, yeah. I think that they have enough offensively and with Oklahoma State just depleted down the line. Um, Oklahoma State, I thought, was going to put up a better showing last week against Kansas State and I think their third-string quarterback, and they just didn't even show up against Kansas State, which surprised me. With Sanders playing, I know he's banged up, but he still – they just looked awful last week. I don't see them faring any better this week. I think they're going to score some points, but I think Kansas is going to win this. So the next game is the game that, as of right now, will decide the SEC West, which you would have, we would have talked about this a few weeks ago. No one thought LSU would have had a shot, but Alabama going down to Death Valley, night kick, the Cajuns are going to be juiced up. Alabama's a 13.5-point favorite going into Death Valley. Who do you like there? So here's my thing about this game. When the CFP rankings were released, my initial thought was, in what alternative reality are the LSU Tigers the 10th-ranked team in America? I couldn't believe that. Um, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a little out there for me. I also found it interesting that the two teams that are Tennessee's marquee wins showed up at 6-10 and 10 in the polls. So take that for what you want to take it for. But um, – yeah, I'm not uh, not a buyer on the Bayou Bengals, so I am taking the tide. I think they will uh, reassert themselves in the conversation on Saturday night in Death Valley. I just, yeah, LSU ain't it, man. I I don't I don't see it. So I'm taking the tide. This is the first game we're going to disagree on. I think Alabama wins this game, and I don't think it's going to be one of those games where like they're uncomfortable winning the game. But I think LSU does cover the 13 and a half, and I think it's probably a backdoor cover. LSU's found enough to hang in the first half offensively with their run game. Jaden Daniels not just doing a one read and dump. I don't, I don't know all of a sudden how he found, decided how to play quarterback in the past couple of weeks, but he's played better since the Tennessee game. And when Kelly doesn't make stupid decisions going forward on fourth down on his own 29, you know, twice in the first half. So – if LSU plays smart football and runs the football well enough, I think they'll hang in the first half enough to cover this. I don't think they're going to win. I, if they win this game, I'll be completely shocked. But I think they cover 13 and a half. Um, and I think Alabama, you know, secures going to Atlanta because, I mean, who do they even have left on their schedule? Have they, they, have, have they played Ole Miss yet? So they got Ole Miss and Auburn? No, they, they, yeah, they got Ole Miss. I don't know if that – I think that game is in Oxford. But I don't know, Jackson, Jackson Dart, it, I, I think Alabama's going to Atlanta either way. So yeah, it's either I, really I, irrelevant. I tend to agree with that. Next game on here, talking about a team we just talked about a couple picks ago, uh, K-State. Texas coming to town. Texas, don't understand this spread at all, especially after K-State's performance last week. Texas is a two-and-a-half-point road favorite going to the Little Apple. Who do you like yeah. here? This is another one. Stinks out loud. Hate it. Do not like this line one bit. Would not put any real life money on it. But I'm taking Emaw. If we're if we're picking the second best team in the Big Twelve, I'm taking K State. I think it's been TCU, and then I think it's K State. They've been the most consistent, and I think they have had games where they have just outclassed their opponent. They always play well in Manhattan. I just Texas, man. I who is Texas? Who who are they? What is what is yep. their identity? I I don't know who they are, man. And I don't like that for a road game. So I'm going with every man a wildcat in the little apple. For me, this game boils down to which Quinn Ewer shows up. Is it the one? who played that first quarter against Alabama before he got hurt or the one who showed up against Texas tech and they struggled to win. I, I don't know the answer to that, but because it's so, it's, you know, the whole team really goes as he goes and everybody was talking about how great Bijan Robinson was going to be this year. And it really, even his stats look good, but he hasn't been that electrifying running back that he was last year. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with K-State as well. I think that, I mean, they've, they've been fun to watch too. I mean, the big 12 normally is known as like, you know, no defense, all offense, but there's been, I mean, K-State's played some pretty good defense this year. So mm -hmm. I've been, they've been fun to watch. I'm going to go with K-State as well. I think that they win this and I don't think it's close. 
Next game, very interesting matchup, especially with the way Clemson's offense has been lately. Clemson going to Notre Dame. Clemson's a road three-and-a-half-point favorite. We got a 7.30 kick. Who do you like in this one? Oh, this is tough. I'm, I'm so biased when it comes to Notre Dame playing at home just because of the experience that we had when we saw the dogs play there. I do kind of root for them when they're not playing Georgia because of that experience. Just kind of fell in love with South Bend, fell in love with the culture. <sighs> this is one where if you had asked me three or four weeks ago, I would have – this is a slam dunk. I'm taking Clemson just because Notre Dame was a bit of a mess. And Clemson was kind of humming along, pretty boring, but humming along. And DJ was doing enough. Boy, he looked so bad against Syracuse. I mean, so bad. And here's the thing. Who's the kid that backs him up? Klubnik? Is that his name? Yeah. Kublik. Kublik. Something. Whatever. He's a a freshman. The freshman from Texas. The the stud recruit they got. Everybody and their mama in Clemson loves him. I didn't really think he was a world beater or anything. I mean, I I thought he gave him a little juice because he had a lot of energy and kind of fired him up. But, you know, absent the was it a justifiable unnecessary roughness on the out-of-bounds play, which I don't know. I thought it was kind of weak, the one they called on him. Dude, maybe they don't win that football game. And I just – I didn't think he looked great throwing it. So, they're in a little bit of a pickle, I think. The flip side of that is – we talked about who the hell is Texas. Who the hell is Notre Dame? I, I don't know who they are, man. I mean, how do you lose to Stanford on your home field? I, that's the part I have such a hard time getting past is that is such an incriminating loss. Stanford is not a good football team. And to lose to them at night on your home field underneath the watchful eye of touchdown Jesus, oh, just horrible. I don't know, man. I I think I'm just going to go with Vegas on this, and I'm going to take Clemson. But again, I, I would not bet any real life money on this. I, I hate this game. I, I don't know. I don't know who where to go. I don't have any gut or pull for it. But I'm just going to take Clemson. I'm going to go with the more desperate team on this one, and I'm going to go with the Irish. And that is really the only reason. I mean, Clemson's offense is bad. It's just bad. DJ is he's not very good. He hasn't turned the corner from last year. So his best game was that game, what, two and a, two years ago against Notre Dame at night when Trevor was out with COVID. Hurt, yeah. And what was that, 2020? Yep. yep. Or he was hurt. Uh, so yeah, that was no, the best was game he COVID. had, and he has not – COVID. COVID? Yeah. He has not performed like that since then. So I would not be surprised if he if – he, he should stay in college, but if he stays, if he's not at Clemson next year, if he transfers out. Because I just something does not fit there with that team, so I'm going to go with the more desperate team. Clemson can I think Clemson because the ACC is so bad survives a loss and still gets in the playoffs. Because unless TCU goes undefeated, but Notre Dame, I mean, they're fighting for bowl eligibility at this point. So, and Freeman, I know it's his first year, but he was there as a defensive coordinator. He may not have as short a leash our longest leash as we think. So I'm going to go with the desperate team and go with the Irish. So next game, another ACC game, Wake Forest going to NC State. Wake Forest and NC State, let's be honest, is just not the same team anymore since Leary went out. They weren't stellar to begin with. I, I still can't believe that they were some people's like surprise, like playoff team pick to begin the year. I said that, you know, we were doing our week one picks, but Wake Forest, three and a half point road favorite, uh, 8 p.m. kick. This is um, one of the late starts. Yeah, you know, I love Sam Hartman. I, I like what Wake's doing. Boy, was that a tough 15 minutes of football in that third quarter last weekend. 14-13 lead, I think, to start the third quarter and then proceed to have six turnovers in one quarter. And it got ugly quick against the Cardinals. Um, I do think they rebound. I think Sam will have a good night. I, I just think because of him, they've got better personnel. So uh, I'm taking the Demon Deeks on the road. Give me the Deacons as well. Um, NC State, just they're just not the same team. They're, they're not even close to the same team without Leary. And I know they're at home, but I just I think the Deacons are just a better football team. I w- would probably take the Deacons even with um, Leary at quarterback. So 
Next one, the one we're here to talk about, Tennessee going to Sanford, play the Dogs, 330 kick, CBS game of the week. Dogs, as of our spread on this, is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, where, where did you find this, by the way? Because I've only seen it on one book at seven-and-a-half. It was listed uh, – whoever ESPN uses for their spreads, it was listed today at like 4 o'clock. All right. Who you got? So, I don't love this number, but – Boy, do I love this rivalry. One of the things I've thought has been interesting when they've talked about when the conference expands and they redo the scheduling and get rid of the divisions and all those things that Georgia's rotational opponents in a nine-game schedule, Tennessee would not be one of them. South Carolina would be the yearly rotational opponent. I really don't like that. I know they've played South Carolina more. I know it's you know border rivalry, whatever it may be, but Tennessee, Georgia, man, just got so much history. It's my God, a freshman. It's hobnail boot. It's Dobbs nail boot. I mean, it's just so many moments, so many big games, so many iconic matchups. And I just would hate to see that lost as a game that's played annually. So how special is this going to be? I mean, essentially one versus two. I know Ohio State is two in the CFP, but Georgia's been one in the AP and the coaches still are. Tennessee is number one in the CFP. So essentially it's one versus one. If you look at all the the various polls that are out there, I think it's a measuring stick for both of them. It's, It's Tennessee's first real test on the road. They're big wins. And I guess you have to put the LSU in the conversation that that's a big win. But again, you know, I don't think LSU is any good at all. You beat Alabama at home, that's a big win, man. I mean, you can't discount that. Anytime you slay that dragon, it's a big deal. But they got to come on the road. It's going to be hostile. They are going to play a very good football team. I think the dogs are playing good. I think they have a nice identity. I think they play together. I think they play hard. And I'll go back to what we talked about at the start of the show. I think the dogs play clean, turnover free, not a lot of penalties. I think they control the football. Tennessee gets frustrated, and I think the dogs cover it late. Go dogs, no doubt who the best team in the SEC East is, and all them hillbillies from Tennessee can go home. Very well said. I don't think it's going to be a 41-17 game like it was last year, but I'm not really sure that this is going to be a a late cover. Tennessee reminds me a lot, a lot, and I've seen this comparison periodically. A lot of an inverse of Georgia from 2017. Georgia's defense was really good. The offense was good, predominantly running the ball. Tennessee's good, you know, very veteran-led team. You know, Chubb and Stoney, Hennon Hooker, almost 25. So very veteran-led team. And there's a lot of similarities between those two teams. But Hostile crowd at 11 o'clock in, at, in Death Valley, that's not a very hostile. So yeah. they haven't really had a true road test yet against a solid opponent. So how are they going to handle that? And another thing I want to point out is these players, this is the first time they're dealing with this yeah. at all. Tennessee hasn't dealt with being the alpha. Tennessee hasn't dealt with being number one. They've never been the hunted they've been underdog always georgia has been on both sides of it these they have plenty of players that have been in this position have been on both sides of this and i think that that's what's going to be the difference in this game you know x's and o's jimmy and joe's it's going to be experience that's good what's going to win this game so and i we've we have that in spades i think the dogs win i think it's close first half. I think dogs pull away second half. I would not be surprised if this is a 17 to 20 point win because they just, the lights are too big for them. That's a good point. I, I do think that's part of this is how are they going to handle the spotlight? You bring up that 2017 Georgia team. They went to Jordan Hare and got the doors blown off of them and they got a rematch in the SC title game and everything worked out great, but That game got out of hand real quick, and the dogs never were really in it. They just kind of came out looking flat a little bit, just not big enough for that moment. So I I am very interested to see that, to see if they can do all that. And and think about this now, too. That Alabama game, you know, game day's there. All the hype is about 
Tennessee game day had been there for the Florida game, which they gave up a ton of points to Florida too. It's just, it was the feel good story type thing. And I think they are going to have to deal with some adversity on Saturday and see how they deal with it. And that's a great point. It'll be very interesting to see how they respond to see if they show up or if turtle goes in the shell and, and we'll see. I mean, it is going to be loud. That crowd is going to be electric. I think I texted you this. There is no happier man in America on Tuesday night at 7.30 than Kirby Paul Smart when the dogs got ranked number three. He will never admit that, but you can't tell me that he immediately went in and t- told all them, they don't respect you. You're still, you're still not good enough. They're still downgrading your title last year. You're still, you know, you're not the bell of the ball. And I hope they come out and just show America what they are, that we're it now. And everybody needs to get on board with that and stop all the second guessing. And let's also not get it twisted. This is a lot about Stetson. This is a lot about people still not believing in Stetson. So I hope he comes out and shoves it straight up everybody's rear end on Saturday afternoon. And uh, maybe we should all smoke cigars after the the drubbing is done. How about that? So for me. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Like I told you, regardless of what ends up happening, the week leading up has been fun. It's been fun for there to be all this juice and to kind of have this anticipation. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be, I cannot wait till kick on Saturday. So let's fire it up, baby. All right. Well, look, if we, we got the chance here to have real good weeks if our picks hit, because we're pretty much the same. Yeah. I think we got two different ones. So I'm good with that. That means eight wins are Alabama, there LSU. Yeah. All right, homie. Well, we'll be oh. texting and texting and everything on Saturday. And we'll, uh, we should do a recap episode this week one way or the other and talk about it. Maybe we get up on Sunday and oh, let's see. Sh- chat about her. Let's see how Saturday goes. Let's see if we can, so- let's see if we're, we're recovered on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm good with that. All right, everybody, have fun on Saturday. Take care of yourself, everybody. Be careful, be loud. And uh, as we always say, go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.